Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward, and I'm fresh out of the desert. Um, when I got out of the desert, I don't know how fresh I smelled or looked <laughs> or felt, um, but I just got done doing the second year of the Desert Rats Cocopelli stage race um, in western Colorado and kind of like southeastern Utah. Uh, and next week we're going to get into that. We'll share our full race report from that event. Um, I'm really excited. It was, it was life-changing and just an incredible event. Once again, uh, I truly think it's probably the best race in the United States anyways, if not the world, <laughs> it's hands down the best one I've ever done. Uh, and we'll get into that next week. And I'm super excited to share with you guys. There's a bunch of adventures and all that stuff. Um, but today we are welcoming back Susan Knoll. Um, Susan is actually the very first person I ever heard of who went out and completed, uh, many stage races. Uh, as I was growing up, she was, always headed to the Sahara or Iceland or, or Mexico and going on all sorts of adventures. And a lot of them actually did involve, uh, stage racing, which is super cool. Um, she's my cousin. Uh, she's a physical therapist. She's very knowledgeable in how the human body works. And more importantly, she's a lifelong endurance athlete. And so that combined with her physical therapy is, is what makes her such a wonderful person to have on this podcast, right? Usually when I talk to her, this is her third time on the show. I think the last two times I talked to her, I was injured uh, somehow. And we kept, we, <laughs> I would be like, hey man, I think you're, you're like a curse. You come on the show and then I get to talk about injuries and how to like rehab them and things like that. Um, in this episode, we actually talk about a recent injury she had and how she was able to recover from that and complete a few Ironman races, um, which is super cool. Uh, Susan is also a person who's very well-traveled. Um, she's lived in a bunch of different parts of the world, um, especially a lot of like endurance hubs, I would say. Uh, she's lived in Utah, San Francisco, um, Italy, Hawaii. Uh, and so we kind of go into that and her experiences um, in those various places and try to like get into what the endurance culture was like uh you know all over all over the world so um especially i mean specifically in those four four spots so all right guys uh hope you enjoyed the episode um be sure to go back check out all of our other episodes like i said susan was on a couple other times including really early on um so you can go back and check that out uh yeah let's get right into it this is the like a bigfoot podcast number 152 with susan noel uh okay. this week we're welcoming back my cousin um who i've referred to susan i can't remember if i actually said this like while i was talking to you on the podcast but like i referred to you as the indiana jones of my life uh. <laughs> So, oh yeah, love it. So, so welcome back to Susan Knoll. Um, I'm excited to talk because you just got done doing Ironman in Hawaii, and I purposely I texted you beforehand, but I didn't text you after because I'm like, well, if she's gonna tell me the story, like, let's go in knowing yeah. absolutely nothing. So, so how'd it go? 
the race last weekend was hard. It was really hard. So I did the one. So I did my second time to Hawaii in the last like six months. And I did. I think you know the story about the world championship in last October. Um, how I ended up getting a slot, of, like a through the Ironman Foundation last April. And I wasn't sure what to do with that race because I had this knee issue. My patellofemoral joint had like cracked cartilage under the the end of the femur, and it took a while to like figure out exactly what was going off my knee, but. This was last April, the sort of, like, figuring out what to do with my knee, and I knew for sure I needed a scope to clean it up. And so I kept the slot in October and sort of, like, kept biking and swimming, didn't do any running at all. And then had kind of let the race go, like, around, like, August, September, and was just like, you know, we'll just sort of, I'll, I'll go visit friends, and I'll go just do the swim, or I'll go yeah. do the swim and then the bike, and it kept sort of, like, shifting where it was, like, I'm definitely going to go for some of the experience because I'm part of this Ironman Foundation. It's a group of, like, 40 people, and it's such an inspiring group of people. Like, totally felt like I was in my element with the people I wanted to be with on island. Anyway, long story short, I decided to go anyway to the big island last October, and... um just participate in the race in whatever capacity I could do because uh, it's just such a special event. And so I show up and the Ironman Foundation is like this amazing organization. They raise money for challenged athletes um, and a lot of the people who were part of the organization racing Kona last October on our team um, were challenged in some way or another. One woman was battling stage four cancer, and I think there were actually, you probably saw some articles about her, so met her in person. There's this brother team that does the race that one brother is, um, you know, has physical handicaps and he needs, like, adaptive equipment, and his other brother basically, like, they move together as a team through the race. So they use adaptive equipment, and the two brothers work together in the race, and they were part of the Ironman Foundation, so I was just so happy to be on island with all these inspiring people, and it's just like an amazing community that, of all levels of athletes, all, you know, there for the same reason, which is just to push their own personal boundaries, which is what I'm all about, so I... You know, I really had no expectations for the world championship. I ended up going, and I was still swimming and doing some cycling, and I had a pretty solid race plan just to take it really consistent, slow, and steady. And I ended up finishing the race, like, in the same time that I'd done my previous Ironman. No way, really? I just just honestly can say that every point in that race, I was just like, I am having fun out here. That's awesome. that was, like, a very rare experience because... You know, in, like, endurance events, you kind of just, you always know that, like, you prepare for what you can prepare for, and you get out there, and anything can kind of happen. Like, your nutrition can go haywire, the elements can go haywire, you can, you know, you may get cramps, you may have something happen, and this was a race where it just kind of, for me, like, really, I mean, it was definitely a challenge, but I just felt... I think I felt so much gratitude being out there and surrounded by so many amazing people that I just enjoyed it, the whole thing. Yeah, so do you, do you that think... that was an amazing... 
do you think like the pressure being off, like kind of going into the race, being willing to stop after the swim or stop after the bike, like just going into it with no pressure. Do you think that actually caused you to have a good day somehow? I think whenever you set expectations, like, I mean, it's good to have like reasonable expectations. And I think there was a part of me that knew I had enough fitness to definitely finish that race. What the deciding factor for me on that race was more about my knee and if, if the impact was going to be too much for the, my knee and the patellofemoral joint um, because of tracking issues. So I sort of had like my plan and my pace plan already set up for, okay, if I'm feeling the knee is feeling good enough for me to finish this race, then I'll this is, here's my pacing plan. Here's my nutrition plan. Yeah. And the conditions were also really much better than anyone expected. I think it was like no surf on the swim, not too hot, you know? So, so that race just was an amazing experience. So, so I went back. So, so last weekend was also Ironman, but they call it, they don't call it Ironman. They call it more, or they call it a 70.3 iron, half Ironman. Okay. Um, just for clear on when you say Ironman. So I was there just last weekend. I got on island last Thursday. And, you know, I lived on the big island, so I have, like, even more of a reason to go see friends, go visit the hospital I used to work at. Yeah, well, it was so funny. I remember, around, I, yeah. I remember uh, okay. Lindsay and I were like, where should our next vacation be? This was probably, like, five or six years ago. And we're like, where should our next vacation be? And we're like, Susan lives in Hawaii. Maybe we can go out there. And then as yeah. soon as we said that, like the next week, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm moving from Hawaii. And we're like, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. It was like one of, it was like a stepping stone back to San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, so you used to live there. So, here now, so yeah. yeah. So you have a community there, like, that you're going back and revisiting. Yeah. And That's cool. Yeah, and the community is really, really an amazing community. And it's just like... You know, I think that there's a lot of, um, I mean, I think, you know, endurance sports in general, the community is very collaborative and very much about people getting out to do an event together to push their own personal boundaries. And, of course, there's, like, the, um, you know, the professionals are out there and the elite athletes are getting so fast. They have qualifying races for the world championship and now for the 70.3 race. So... I have to say, like, this time around, I had expectations I, <laughs> because of the training I've been doing and because yeah. of my race in the fall. It was like, man, I'm going to keep training and swimming and cycling and see how I can do, you know? Yeah. And I actually did this race, like, uh, I think it's now been, like, six years ago. And I struggled so much that time around, too, because I do struggle in the hu- humidity and the heat and with the sodium um, intake and all of that. And so this race, uh, this, I went out there with expectations to really be able to race the run. And that did not happen for me this time around. And so that felt very disappointing because anytime you set expectations that aren't met, you know, I think there's in like, it's only natural that you have some level of disappointment, but I have to say, I was so happy about my biking that's one thing that I've really I've um, consulted a coach with that and been able to like look at the power on the bike and 
what what my metabolic demand is and my nutrition on the bike, and I feel I'm really excited to see that really improve. Yeah. What, I think what happened yeah. this last race was I went out there, did my normal swim. It was um, in Hapuna Beach, which is where I used to do, like, Saturday morning swim, so I know that beach really well. Um, and a funny side story about a shark later, I'll mention that. <laughs> oh my God. Shark anyway, stories are so uh, acceptable on no. the show. We actually just had our first, Not funny, but yeah. we yeah. had our first oh, shark really? story like shark a week story? ago. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think like all told my training was going really well and I've had, I've, I mean, I've sort of like, I think I, my expectations were somewhat realistic to race it but I also have not been doing a ton of running because of my knee so my expectations for the run were based on past experience of like oh yeah I'm a strong runner and I can even if I'm really suffering I can really push so basically I got out there did the swim the swim was great I always enjoy the swim because I I miss that's my background love swimming and so it was like fun especially in Hawaii you don't need a wetsuit so you're out there and like you know with you know, your short sleeve tank top, whatever, just feel, and you just, it's like the water is amazing. It's so clear. You're seeing fish. You're hoping not to see a shark. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, the conditions are great. And the bike, it was clearly, though, clear before the race. It was going to be a really hot day. And I got on the bike, and I completely... I had made a plan. Uh, I have my, figured out my nutrition, how much sodium I need. So I usually take extra sodium tablets, you know, like on the bike in case, you know, because you want to sort of balance how much you're drinking your sodium. So I had my sodium figured out for what I would be drinking. Anyway, I couldn't find tablets on the island the day before the race. So I thought, I'll put table salt in my jersey. That'll be fine if I... If I need it for insurance, like if it's extra hot and I'm sweating more and I'm really feeling like I need extra salt just without taking it in with fluid, then I'll have it. Well, I completely left the table salt in my, my bag, my oh, transition man. bag. So <laughs> I get on the bike and I'm like, yeah, I think I got everything. I think I got it. Like that's the thing the challenge about these races. I think it, part of the challenge is just like remembering all the stuff you need. Yeah. So anyway, so it's like. Yeah. And I thought, maybe they'll have table salt. And, you know, they'll have, like, gels and nutrition. You think, like, sometimes they have salt and races. So that's basically what, like, this race, I just got taken down by my lack of extra salt, which I wasn't even sure I would need, but I did need it. It was actually really hot. Yeah. So solid bike, super psyched on the bike. I was, like, shooting for, you know, upwards, like, 10th and under in my age group. So I was around there on the bike. I was in eighth or I think I was in ninth on the bike coming off the bike. And I thought, okay, get off the bike. I'm like, run's going to be hard, but I can tough this out. And I just struggled on the run. I was cramping. I knew I was in sodium depletion. I was trying to get in it on the gels. It just turned into one of those races I've done before where I was like, darn it, I thought I was past this. <laughs> Like, you know, it just was hot. It was hard. It was just a challenge to run, like, 10-minute miles. Like, oh. So it was, it was a struggle, and a lot of people were really struggling and walking on the run. And I think it was, one, it was, like, 60% humidity and 90 degrees and very exposed. And, two, once you're already in a sodium depletion, it's pretty hard to come back from that. So all told, like, given the conditions and my fitness level, I finished strong. Like, I finished. 629, I think, 25th of my age group. That's awesome. 
70 or something like that. So still like upper third of the women. And yeah. You know what? I'm happy with that. Like, <laughs> you just got to be sad. And I had a really good time out there. Like, saw people I knew. I, I saw some friends I used to cycle with. And it's always, you know, you see people cheering each other on. Everybody's got their own sort of, like, challenge that they bring to the race. And that's really what the beauty of the sport is for me. It's really about... At the end of the day, you know, you always want to PR and you want to push your results, and it's great when things come together and you can do that. But that's not really what keeps me coming back to the sport. What really keeps me coming back to the sport is the community, and I really feel that, you know, especially on the big island, there's just such a beautiful community there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, all in all, it's just a really fun race. That's cool. Aside so from, you know, collapsed on the finish. I knew I had nothing left, so that's always good. <laughs> yeah. You guys are, that's the total, like, Iron Man mentality of, like, yeah, if you collapse yeah. on the finish, this is a good thing. Yeah. Um, it was one of those races where, like, the whole run, I was feeling cramps. So it was like, you know, and you always learn something. Like, when I used to run in the sand, I sort of learned, like, okay, what kind of foot strike do I need to do to be more efficient on the sand? Well, this was the kind of run where I was like, what kind of running pattern can I take to get the least amount of cramps? Like, yeah. <laughs> so what? that was a new thing. So can yeah. you remind us, like, remind me specifically as I'm about to go run through the desert, and this might come up after I do that race, but I want to, like, if you would have nailed down your sodium water balance, like, what would that have looked like? Like, if you were doing it if you are meeting your plan like the most perfect way, how do you balance your sodium and water? Like how much water do you drink for how much sodium you yeah. intake? Well, I know from doing like sweat tests and sodium um, loss tests, whatever, I know how much fluid I lose per hour, which is a sliding scale based on conditions. It's like a pound to a pound and a half, which is 16 to 24 ounces. So I try to take in that much fluid and then, I know how much sodium I lose per liter of fluid. So for 32 ounces lost, I lose like 1,000 milligrams. Um, the challenge is that it's even though you go in with those numbers, every conditions can change and your metabolic demand can change given like how you feel that day. So I think some of it is somewhat intuitive. Um, and I think I learned, like, it, when I did the world championship in last fall, during the race, I took in more than I thought I needed. Like, I took in more than that 1,000 milligrams and because somebody had said you need to err on the side of about 25% more. And I thought, oh, this will be kind of an experiment. But it worked really well. I also was going a lot slower. So I think the metabolic demand in terms of cramping is lower. When you try to race harder, obviously, you're you're more you're asking more of your muscles, so there's that um, risk of cramping is higher, I think, for a short, a shorter race. I call Half Ironman shorter, right? But I, on a perfect yeah. race, you know, if conditions were like San Francisco conditions, I would need about that, like, you know, a pound, of, a pound, a pound and a half of fluid loss per hour and around 1,000 milligrams of sodium loss per hour. I think the challenge when you get in any race is, um, especially with, like cycling too, like it's windy. It's sometimes hard to get your nutrition. Like you're trying to, you think about safety, you're trying to descend and you're trying not to hit people. Like there really were a lot of people on the road. And so it was a lot of focus going on there. And so it's like, 
you're trying to stay on a nutrition plan too. So that's always a challenge. But I think if you like, I knew, I really knew by the end of the bike that it was in a depletion, I could feel it. Um, so yeah, I knew I was like trying, the, the thing is you don't want to over take in too much fluid. So I knew I had my salt tabs for the fluid I had on the bike, but I didn't have just straight tabs of salt. So I didn't really want to overload my system with too much fluid. Do you see what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, nutrition. I, th- I think the whole... The table salt would have been perfect, but I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. I, th- I think the whole, like, figuring out the salt or, you know, the electrolytes balanced with the water thing is, like, key to any endurance racing. And it takes people a long time to actually figure out what's best for them. And at least for yeah. me, I'm like, you know, it's been a year since it's been really, really hot out. And so I'm trying to remember what I did before that worked and, you know, and I'm kind of like hoping that experience will, you know, guide me through it a bit. But at the same time, like how beneficial do you think it would be to take a sweat test for like any endurance athlete? I think it's super beneficial because it's helped me. I mean, I still made it through this race where I may have DNF'd before, like, a, you know, where a lot of people probably did during this race I just did too because there were a lot of people struggling in that heat. So it got me enough, like, I have enough knowledge now to, like, I'm armed with knowledge that gets me to a certain point. Like, got me through the really strong bike section. I think it's huge to know how much cause, because – when I finally did that, I was like, oh, wow, I need so much more sodium than I thought I did, you know? Yeah. So it was really surprising. I, and I think um, a lot of times when you feel thirsty, you actually need salt, and you take in more fluid, and then it's just sort of like sloshing around in your stomach and not helping you, you know? Yeah. So I think it's really, yeah, and it's not that hard. You you know, it's a quick test. You can you can do that, and you can do sweat tests. Like, I've done that with the the pool as well. I was really surprised when I actually did, like, um, so you can, what you can do is, like, before a workout, you weigh yourself, and after a workout, you weigh yourself again, and you just subtract how much fluid you drank. If you didn't drink anything or eat anything, then that's an easy math, right? I was surprised how much fluid I lose in just a 45 to 50-minute swim. <laughs> well, like, that's... Yeah, that has to be crazy because swimming, you can't, like, it would be really difficult to tell how much you are losing just because you're in the water, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, so that was, like, really kind of eye-opening for me. I was like, wow, it's not even hot, you know, in the pool. There's no heat factor, really. But my body heat and my fluid loss is quite a lot. So, I, yeah, I definitely... Um, I mean, I think I've always been good about the fluid intake during races. I just wasn't ever taking enough sodium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fun. I was just, I was laughing. I was yeah. laughing at myself because I was like explaining that when you sweat in a pool, it's water. And I'm like, this is the dumb, like, why am I explaining right. this? <laughs> She's like a lifelong swimmer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like, it's something I never really... Even all those years of swimming, like, we'd, we would do, like, an hour and a half to our workout and not even drink anything, you know? Yeah. Like could have, yeah. So now I take stuff to the pool, and I feel much better when I do a pool workout because I take these salt tabs. So yeah. I think it's hugely beneficial. I think it takes even probably professional athletes a lot of trial and error. And some days you just don't, have, like, some days you just mess up. <laughs> you know, like, it's never going to be perfect even when you're armed with 
Well, I shouldn't say never. You do have those races where things come together. They're like unicorns, though. They're very rare. Yeah. And so I think it's always kind of, it's a lot of trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for age group athletes. Yeah. Well, and I kind of think like you almost have to go into a race expecting that it's not going to be the perfect day. And then if it happens to become the perfect race, then like that, that rocks. Yeah. But yeah, you know, most of the time that's yeah. not going to happen. So you kind of have to be like, well, it, you know, I'm not expecting it. So I'm not yeah. going to like get into the mental yeah. like, dark place, I guess. Right. And I think it's just like shifting even during a race. You, you kind of need to learn to shift your expectations sometimes given what you're given. Like, like I definitely, once I started to run this race, it was clear that um, I needed to shift my expectations and focus on finishing the race. Yeah. I knew I was in, in like, try to get sodium in and just cool down my system because I was in overheating. And, um, and, you know, and so at that point, it's like, okay, what do I need to, to get my, keep myself moving forward? Yeah. And that's a valuable skill in of itself. So I feel like I've learned a lot to be able to execute that at least. Yeah. For you know, sure. and also it's like, just remember why I'm here. I'm here to like stay fit and have fun and, you know, encourage other athletes. And so, you know, I, that was that was still a huge element of the race, which was a beautiful thing too. Yeah, so well, I hear a baby in the background. She, yeah, the baby's <laughs> here. So I was saying before we started the podcast, I I'm on dad mode, and she was asleep. So I'm like, oh, it's gonna be perfect. But then she woke up like ten minutes in. But I have yeah, I have three amazing. I have three yeah. different chairs set up for her. You know, where I'm like, okay, if she doesn't yeah. like this chair, like you're just trying to please the baby yeah. with like, what chair do you like? <laughs> Um, yeah, right. <laughs> well, I want to dive in. Um, I, I realized like you've been on the show, you know, a few times at this point, and uh, I, we I never really asked you like about your why, like why are you an endurance athlete? Why do you do these things? And like I said in the beginning, you're you've been an endurance athlete for like I would say like pretty much your whole life and so how is that why how's that reason to go out and do these things how has that changed and evolved over time oh that's that's a great question i think i got into endurance sports you know after graduate school when i was excited about getting back to competition and just seeing what i was capable of like you know you grow up sort of thinking like when you're a collegiate athlete you sort of think oh I'm kind of done after college. Like, what? what's next? Unless I'm, you know, Olympic-level athlete, like, college is kind of it. Like, is that – I mean, that's what I sort of grew up thinking. And then I was like, wait a second, that's not true at all. Like, there are so many people – like, I see people out running and doing, like, amazing races and enjoying it and staying very fit and having these amazing experiences traveling and meeting different people that were all ages. And so I think – I kind of came back to the swimming and I've never was a cyclist, but the swimming and running for sure in triathlon is, you know, in my thirties. And I just enjoyed it. I think what kept, what has really kept me in it and what's evolved the most, the most common thread is the friends and the community. I mean, I think for sure as an endurance athlete, like a group swimming and running and Endurance back then was like a you know a two hundred yard swim or or like the mile that was like long you know in uh, in high school and college track that those were like you were the long distance athlete or whatever so it's funny to think of that because that seems so short now but I think as an adult it 
I'm always going to be drawn to putting myself in situations um, where I'm going to bump up against the edge of my comfort zone because I think there's a lot of beauty and self-discovery in that, not only just self-discovery, but bonding with other people doing the same thing. I think that's a lot of it. It's like it, it's really you really discover a lot about your own character, I think, when you put yourself in a situation that is that challenging. I mean, it's kind of scary and exciting at the same time. And every race is different. Every race I've done and every experience is different. There's, you know, there's adventure in it too. It's like, I was thinking that on the bike, like this weekend, it was like, this is, you know, safety first here. Like it's adventure. It's like hauling down this windy road with other cyclists and you're trying to stay focused you're trying to stay on your bike you're trying to go a certain certain pace there's a sense of adventure to it too but i love and not to mention speaking of sharks like we're you know you just go out for an ocean swim and you're swimming out to sea and this beach that i have to swim in so many times never saw a shark i've thought about it. i know this beach is enclosed for sharks like tiger sharks i've heard people say they saw sharks oh so my god <laughs> you know like I think it's the also, like, I'm really drawn to the elements. I think for me, racing yeah. outside in the elements in nature is um, a beautiful thing. And I think the you have a lot of moments of solitude where you really get to confront your mind, your own mind, and you're in a challenged position where you really, even more so, really confronting your mental and emotional state. Yeah. And I think that that allows for a lot of self-growth and learning, really. I think that's what keeps me going back on a personal level. And then the aspect, the more outward aspect, that's more inward aspect for me, the intrinsic motivation. But it's extrinsically, of course, like getting great results is really fun and being able to qualify for races that um, where you can go different places and experience different things is a beautiful thing. But I wouldn't say that's the primary driving force. It really is the people. You know, and people are really out there encouraging each other. I mean, of course, there's competitive spirit, and people want to win, you know, if they're at that level, whatever. Um, But I think it's the community and the people, especially, like, in, you know, trail running and endurance sports, I feel like there's an understanding among athletes that what you're doing is kind of crazy, you know, (laughs) and... And really, like, yeah, I think everybody, you know, how many people have asked you why? Like, so many people ask me, why would you want to do that? That sounds horrible. Yeah. But then <laughs> you meet. Like, I really have, I really enjoy it. I really have fun doing it. I really have a great time meeting people who are not afraid to push themselves. That's what it is. Yeah. You know? Well, and then you meet the community of people who do it. And all of a sudden, no one's asking why anymore, really. They're more, like, asking for, like, the intrinsic reasons more than, like, like it's just when people yeah. can understand like oh this of course you do this like that makes perfect sense like i do it too yeah. <laughs> you know yeah exactly and that's- i think that why for me really is community and um just self-growth and discovery you know and i think there's in any sport or anything in life um it's scary to push yourself to your push you know beyond the edges of your comfort zone but there's it's also like kind of a journey i think and that's how i see it i see it as a beautiful journey really real quick though uh first of all about the elements i think it's so cool that that's one of the reasons because 
how many people go through life when it's raining outside or it's really hot outside or, you know, it's just like not ideal conditions where they're like, oh, I'm staying inside yeah. all day, you know, like, and but to get out there and like prove to yourself, like I can handle this, I can handle anything, you know, um, is really, yeah. really cool. Yeah. And the elements are unpredictable. So I think that that unpredictable nature is that sense of adventure, you know? Yeah. That's where I think that adventure comes in for me. That's so much more interesting and exciting and, uh, organic. I just, I love, you know, I've always been a very much, um, somebody that really craves, uh, connection with nature and even, you know, even in solitude, like I'm quite happy going out exploring. I mean, I think that actually initially is what turned me into a distance runner was that exploration. And the, and it's sort of like, it's sort of that inquisitive, curious side of ourselves that I think a lot of times, um, you know, we need as adults, we have as children, you know, look at children, they want to go out and explore and like, Digging the dirt. I mean, that's the sense I feel. I mean, it's so cheesy to say. I'm sure some people have, like, roll their eyes at this. But, like, that's how I look at a long run by myself. Like, when I go off on trail running or in nature, it's more about exploration and and just the beauty of being in nature, really, I think. And, ex- like, seeing something new and different and just sort of, like, waking up that curiosity or part of our of my mind. It makes me feel probably like a kid again that is really, that aspect is a beautiful thing too, you know. Um, and so I think that's a lot of the exploration, skiing or backcountry skiing or running and open water swimming. I mean, there's a whole world out of the ocean that fascinates me, you know, that we're just, we're actually, it's a gift we have that we can move into the world that way and really you know, see things unexpected, I think, in an athletic way. I feel like it's a gift. I feel really blessed I've been able to do that. Um, I got to hear about the shark, though. So, like, what happened? So, I did not have the uh, – was not able to see a shark. But I went for one last – so, we did the race on Saturday, right, at Beach Chapuna on the Big Island which is close to down the road. There's another beach that I love called beach 69 where you almost always see like a ton of fish and like mantas and stingrays and you have seen eels there. I mean, it's just like you're out just snorkeling and there's tons of stuff there. Well, the morning of the race was super calm and you know, there are lifeguards out there and everything. And I think I saw maybe like one fish on my, during my swim in the race. Cause I'm sure like a lot of people in the water is going to like push like, you know, ocean animals away, whatever. I went for one more swim the morning of my flight coming home. I was like, oh, it'd be great to go do one more, like, morning, like, sunrise swim at Beach Chapuna. Nope, not happening. There's, like, a handwritten sign by the the gate at the beach that says, like, um, beach closed due to shark sighting. And so (laughs) that's at Beach Chapuna. So he drives down a little bit further to Beach 69, same thing. And there's a local guy there, and he's, like, sitting there, like, in his little like beach cart, whatever, because he's probably monitoring, you know, tourists going by. He's reading a magazine, and he's like, yeah, they said, somebody said I was like 12-foot tiger shark, and I'm like, oh, wow, okay, I'm glad I already did the race. Glad I did not just get in the water. And he's like, <laughs> but you could probably go down a little ways and swim. There's other beaches down that way. He's You're like, like no, I'm good. 
And I'm like, you know, yeah, I think I'm good. I think they swim. Don't they swim? Like, I'm pretty sure sharks swim. <laughs> anyway, I was just like, no, I, I mean, like, there's part of me, again, since eventually really was to see a shark. And the other part of me is like, I would completely like terrified of sharks. So, yeah, that but I know would be people who've horrifying. done the world championship at Kona have like swum right over sharks before and seen them, and so they're out. You know, they're out there. It's like you're you're does, out there. You're in their home. Does that know? help them go faster? Because I'd be like, oh my god, I gotta go faster. Yeah, I would say like my this is my reasoning for like middle of the pack. I'm going for middle of the pack in the swim because <laughs> that makes you know, sense. Yeah. I don't, I'll be in the front. I want to be in the back. The front and the back are going to get eaten. Yeah. Everyone in the middle, we look like a giant yeah, like yeah. whale or something, and we'll be fine. Yeah. That's yeah. that's hilarious. I mean, I just actually heard that they that they put out, like, I don't know, like, some sonic, like, frequency or something to detract sharks. But maybe oh. that's a rumor I heard. They just are like. The Kona World Champions. Yeah. For, I mean, I'm sure they're not doing it for like the one I just did, but I have heard that. They're like, but we're I just going to. We're, we're yeah. just going to tell everybody that we do that so they don't freak out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I have yet to see a tiger shark, and I think I'm good not seeing one up close and personal, actually. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah that's. That would. That's just a whole other element of that sport that I didn't even think of until you said it. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's 100% right. There's sharks in there. Right. There are sharks in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, for sure. I also, I wanted to ask you this too, because you've lived in a few like really interesting places, like parts of the world and, and you've been an endurance racer in all those parts. So like, can you kind of compare the endurance racing culture of Hawaii to Italy to San Francisco to Utah like I mean I I have to imagine there's a lot of similarities but there's such different parts of the world too that I think that would be really interesting uh, to hear about yeah okay I gotta think about that one for a little bit because it also like different sports have come in at different times like when I was in Utah I was doing quite a bit of rock climbing and endurance and more trail running so that's a definitely a different culture where I think that, I, I mean, in general, I think trail running is a bit more, um, I would say a little bit more collaborative than the Iron, the Ironman's become really like a brand and it's commercialized. And I think, though I think trail running is sort of going that with the North Face Endurance Challenge and stuff like that, um, I think it was more relaxed and more casual when I first started trail running like it really was about more about the exploration for most people and I think that in both realms endurance sports have just become a lot more mainstream a lot more commercial and a lot more competitive I mean even like I mean to like place to qualify for uh, so I'm just saying overall the evolution of endurance sports during my time, and then I'll talk about how it felt in different uh, areas where I've lived. Okay. But I think that, yeah, in general, like endurance sports has become a lot more, I think mainstream, like even ultra running is so much more mainstream than it used to be like 20, 30 years ago. Um, and I think that in a way like ultra running was sort of like, 
attracted more kind of misfits initially. Maybe it, and I think it still does, but I think um, endurance has become more commercial. Yeah, I'm not sure I like that aspect of it because I'm kind of a bit the bohemian side of me is kind of what got me into <laughs> like the exploration side of endurance sports and the openness of like exploring terrain and pushing my body is what I really love about it. Yeah. However, you know, it's always great to place, and I love getting results, and if I do well and I place well, I'm happy to get on the podium. It's funny. You you definitely, you have those two sides that seemingly are two complete opposite ends of the spectrum, but you have them both in you. And I, I think probably a lot of endurance racers, especially like trail runners and stuff, I think they would relate to that because a lot of people are competitive, but it's this such chilled out kind of relaxed sport that I don't know you have that side too and it's weird to be like in a chilled out relaxed sport and then still be competitive but like also appreciate the exploration and adventure side so yeah that's super interesting yeah Yeah. I do think so I think the competition is what drives you to to like I think that competition and ambition definitely drives you to push yourself like let's say you decide to do a race like an Ironman or like an ultra run or ultra event I mean when you are really tired and your schedule's crazy and you know you need to get in a hard training run and you know it might not be very much fun but you're trying to hold a pace that's the competitive side you know I think (laughs) right like I think that's what drives you to like I've got to show up for this or, or, you know, I'm not going to be ready for this race or whatever. Yeah. To me, that's my more, I'm more in that competitive side. Or I'm in a race and I'm suddenly, like, finding, like, oh, wow, I'm, like, in the top three. Like, I could get, okay, I'm close to the podium. Like, it's go time. Like, I don't care how hard I'm hurting right now. Like, it's go time. That's the competitive side, you know. Um, I think that you call on different sides at different times. And, I, and yeah, and I think it's, it's um, they're both beautiful sides. I think the beauty for me more is the exploration discovery aspect of the sport. You know, I think that's more the beautiful bohemian side that I really like. But, um, and in regards to like what it's like in different areas, I think in Utah, I think, so Utah, Italy, San Francisco, and Hawaii. Um, In Utah, I think there are so many amazing athletes, mountain athletes there that, I, you know, I was more not doing as much competition and so it's hard to comment on how that competition is. But I think, I think in general, like Utah has some of the most amazing athletes anywhere because they're just highly trained and they live in the mountains and they live at at altitude and just depending on that kind of persona. I think if I were to move back there now, it would feel a lot more competitive. I think back in the day when I was rock climbing and skiing and doing more exploration stuff, it didn't feel as competitive to me. Um, I found that when I moved to Italy, I found that quite competitive, like quite focused yeah. on results, quite focused on the commercial side of, um, and I think that's the timing of Ironman growing as a brand and growing, getting a, a lot more commercialized, and so I found the focus to be a lot on getting on the podium and um, more on the results, and, I, and that was really interesting for me. I wouldn't have expected that. You know, and I, but I was also in a quite like living in a town where there were a lot of cyclists, and my connection to the community came out of my athletic involvement, like in the Sahara. And so it's only natural that, like, I was surrounded by more competitive athletes, cyclists, and 
people who are really yeah. trying to place in races and qualify for Kona and that do their sense. first Ironman. And so I found it to be very, um, Italy is a culture that can be quite conformist, I think, you know? And so I found that to be more the competitive side of, of, uh, racing there. I found that more than the export, exploration yeah. side. However, I didn't do much trail running in Italy. It was more, you know, cycling and I mean, amazing cyclists there. Just remember, well, I actually found it frustrating. Sometimes I'd be out on a training ride. I'd drop in a training ride with a bunch of cyclists and, um, you know, and women in triathlon and cycling has really grown a lot in Italy in the last, I want to say 10 to 15 years. And so, even as I was there, I felt like it was growing more and more to see women in the sport. Well, I remember being out on training rides, like, trying to keep up and just be in a, you know, they call it the Peloton or whatever. That's how they do their training rides. They're in a Peloton. And they take it pretty seriously, some of those serious athletes. Like, if I were to try to pass somebody, I remember passing people on a ride. And I had, like, I've always had my electrolytes on the bike or whatever. But I remember more than once, somebody, a guy would look at me and be like, you're doping. And I was like, doping? I'm on a training ride. Are you kidding? And I wouldn't even know how to get that stuff. Like, are you kidding me? That's hilarious. Yeah. So that really surprised me and also frustrated me. But yeah, I like really felt connected to, in a very positive way, my friends there who I became close to the, the Italian athletes who I was training with. I never felt any, like, over-competition or animosity there. I'm just saying, in general, the culture, I think, was really focused on more... The, I felt it to be quite focused on the Ironman brand. I was also in Italy when the first 70.3 race happened, and I went down and did that race with some friends. So I think it was also, like, just landing in Italy to, uh, as a sport, you know, growing a lot there and becoming... And now they have Ironman Italy, and it's taken a while. That's so, awesome. So that was my feeling there. It was my feeling with that, um, which was great. I mean, I got pushed a lot there out <laughs> cycling on those crazy roads with no shoulders. Oh, you know? yeah. I went for a run. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember the town. I don't remember what the, what the town was, but we were in Tuscany. And I went for a run and I'm like, oh, this will be fine. And I realized like the high or the road or highway or whatever, like had no shoulder whatsoever. And I was like, oh my God. And, and I also realized I didn't speak or read the language. So I had no idea. There was a point where there was like the road went in three different directions. And I was like, I have no idea how to get back at this point. And luckily I chose the right one. So I was good. I did a nine mile run instead of like a 20 mile run, you know? (laughs) <laughs> right right yeah 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 no i mean and i i really i enjoy tra- i think i think part of why i enjoy training by myself sometimes is the exploration and you know it's fun to go with people who really push you but i in italy i found ways to balance that like i'd go out and just i I liked to like a ski resort one day you know like to get in a hundred miler i found my way there on these back roads and and just that was a, like my most memorable, fun uh, training ride for an Ironman because it was explore. It was all on roads I'd not done before, and you know you're a bit in survival mode because you're trying to find your way. And I met people along the way. That's when I really feel the most alive is that kind of training ride. You know, um, I think that's beautiful. And I mean, other rides too. I did some exploratory rides with friends, and that was really around um, the hills north of Italy. But what's funny? Another point about uh, training and um, competing in Italy is that a lot of people who don't know the language don't know that like their way to cheer you on and tell you to go faster 
is this word D-A-I pronounced die. So they'll be like, die, die, die. You know? And so <laughs> like, if you don't know man. that, you're like, what? <laughs> what? Like you're trying to like, you know what I mean? Tell the competition go slow. Are you trying to tell me to go slow? Yeah. Tell me, tell me to like pass out. What are you saying? You know? That's hilarious. So I remember that. Like, first time in the Sahara. Yeah. Everyone uh, telling you to die. <laughs> You're just like, I'm in the Sahara. <laughs> yeah. All these die, Italians die, are yelling die. die at me for some reason. This is the worst. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, That's go. Awesome. It's just what it means. Like, go, go. You're doing great. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I think overall yeah. Italians are very enthusiastic. Their enthusiasm for the sport's really infectious. That's cool. And they're, they're really, you know, about pushing. And they're really about pushing themselves, too, to, like, see what they can accomplish. So. Yeah, I found that to be a fun culture to be training in. That's yeah. cool. And San so, Francisco is yeah. just always competitive. You know, San Francisco has some of the most amazing athletes. You know, professional triathlon or professional Ironman, and also trail running athletes. So I think that there's kind of everything here. That's what I said. San Francisco is a diverse city, so I find it to be whatever kind of you want out of your training and racing. You're going to find here if you want to try to go pro and find the right people to. To go that way, you could be doing a ton of competition and going very hard. Or you, if you want to be kind of bohemian and fun about it, there's so many people doing it. It's just such an active city. So it's a great mix. I, that's why I think why I love San Francisco. You can really find, you know, both things. Yeah. And Hawaii, living in Hawaii, I think less competitive, more about, like, yeah, you know, maha, you know, aloha, have a fun day and enjoy yourself out there. But then again, I wasn't really, I wasn't really competing when I lived in Hawaii and it's home to Ironman and, you know, the biggest, you know, it's world championship. So I think it's probably a very different feel when that race comes around. But I think in general living and existing on the island was more exploratory for me in training and uh, meeting other athletes and doing races because we'd, Go, I'd go out with friends for open water swims on a Saturday morning, and you'd swim from one beach to another. And talk about, oh, my gosh, I definitely had a uh, fear of sharks get challenged a lot on those swims. What, but, do, um, what do the, like, that was really fun. Yeah, what do the locals yeah. kind of say about sharks? Like, I don't, I just, I'm thinking back, like, when I moved to Virginia, I thought I was going to see a bear every time I went trail running because I'm from Iowa and there's no bears. Yeah. Now I'm in a state where there's bears. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to see bears like all the time. And I ended up never seeing right. one. So is that kind of like the locals like kind of idea of sharks or are they pretty weary of them? I think both. I think there's a high level of respect um, just for the island, the Aina itself. I think that. I think that locals come with the attitude that if you're in the ocean, you're in their home, and you may or may not see one, and there's a level of respect that they give. I, I think I remember treating some patients in the hospital that were like, oh, yeah, I like didn't even bat an eye about, like, yes, they free dive, right, with spears. Like, that's they're free diving, and they free dive, and they see sharks, and that's just part of their um, free diving experience that is expected, and they didn't didn't at all seem nervous about it. I think it's just that. So I've I've heard that more from the locals. Um, but I think you know if the beach is closed for a twelve foot tiger shark, like you're talking to the locals who are lifeguarding, like they're you know they definitely don't want people you know they don't want people in the water who don't need to be there with a tiger shark. So I think there's just a level of respect. Yeah. 
yeah. that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, yeah. awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Um, I, it's funny. I was thinking yeah, about this too. I'm like, me. usually when I talk to Susan, I'm injured. You know, like like when I've had you on the show in the past, I've been injured both times, and I'm like, just knock on wood, pure luck. I'm feeling great right now, so <laughs> <laughs> no injury talk good. needed. In, yeah, your race is in two weeks, right? So are you tapering now, or where are you? With um, that? I'm trying to heat adapt right now because, like I said, it's been too cool out here, so I haven't had some good yeah. heat to train in. So nice. Do you have goals? Like, are you, do you have goals? So with what's kind I of do. Your, um, like yeah, last year I got I finished in 30 hours and 40 minutes and I didn't realize uh-huh. there was an award for under 30, like a special award. And I was like, "Oh man, oh, nice. I know I could yeah. I know last year anyways I could cut 40 minutes off my time. This year is like a whole different story, like we'll see, but like looking back I was like one of the early or the first couple of days I could have probably trimmed 40 minutes off um if i'd kind of been completely in race mode and less in uh kind of scared i wasn't gonna finish mode if that makes sense yeah yeah totally so so now like knowing that i at least have the potential of finishing you know i'm kind of like well i could probably race or run a little bit like put a little more effort into those first couple days but that Uh also might be a terrible idea so we'll find out (laughs) Yeah, well, it's either get a plan and you've got your, you know, your nutrition. Yeah. You know, you can, right, figure my, it out. And, yeah, my nutrition yeah. literally is just eat food nonstop all week. So that's pretty much <laughs> how that goes. That's, <laughs> um, but, that's pretty much it. Yeah. But, yeah, I feel like I'm following in your footsteps doing some stage races, and I uh, I love it. I feel, I like, know, right? honored, you know. I yeah. feel so honored to even get the opportunity because – I just remember growing up hearing yeah. you talk about stage races and stuff like that and how it captured my imagination. So, so thank you. Yeah, I know. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Have fun with that. Yeah. That'll be, yeah, you're, you're so strong. You'll be awesome. And the thing that's great about a stage race too is like, it's kind of like you get multiple opportunities to have a good day. You know what I mean, like if you have one day that's kind of, like things that your nutrition's off for whatever you get to go back the next day and like get back in the ring and do it again. So it's every day, at least in my experience, stage racing every day and every race would be different. That's awesome. Um, and it talk about the exploration. Like you're really out there exploring the land. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I'm, I'm so. super pumped. So anyways, thanks for coming on the show, Susan. Like, yeah, you're an amazing yeah. athlete and awesome cousin. So, uh, I really appreciate having you on. Oh, thanks, Chris. I always love talking to you. All right. We'll get back at you at some point. Okay. Sounds good. All right. All right. That wraps up this week's episode of the Like a Bigfoot podcast. Uh, huge thanks to Susan. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for spending time with with all of us. And, you know, it's just it's always fun listening to your stories and your tales of adventures through this crazy endurance world that uh, you've been a part of for, for so long now. So, um, truly thanks. And, you know, I mean, like I said in the intro, I think I said it in the podcast, like Susan really is one of my inspirations, uh, to go out and do these things because she's the very first person who I would hear talking about 50 mile runs and ultra marathons. Like I'm pretty sure the first time I heard the word ultra marathon was Susan talking about one of her friends. Um, 
And of course, hearing that you can go to these places and run for days and days, uh, you know, through the Sahara, through Iceland, you know, it's, it's, it really brought this idea of like, oh, she can have adventures. Like I can have adventures too. Um, which has been really special to me. Uh, so thank you. Um, speaking of adventures, next week we will be back. So join us again, please. Um, we'll be back. I'm going to bring Phil Pinty back on the show. Um, and we are going to kind of give a race report of our week on the Cocopelli Trail uh, through our Desert Rats stage race. And once again, I truly think it's one of the best events in the whole world um please check it out it will be life-changing mind-blowing the scenery is incredible um there's not one day of the stage race that is like another uh scenery wise but more importantly the people who go out and do this the people who go out and work this event you will not find better people in the whole wide world than you will at desert rats so um join us back next week i'm really excited for this episode um that's going to be coming up. I think it's going to be one of the best ones of the show. So, uh, yeah, please come back, check that out and we'll get back at you then. See you.